episode 20 of Corn Syrup, a horror podcast. I'm Tyler. And I'm Chelsea. It's been a while. It has. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. And I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about everybody. So this is our first episode since April 14th. Uh, Mike and I were supposed to be putting out uh, our rankings for the Saul franchise. It didn't quite happen. Life got in the way. That episode will be coming at some point. But for now, we're doing an episode in between with Chelsea and I. I'm excited to be here today. So we're going to be talking about two movies. So let's start with let's start by putting it this way: we are getting into uh, some normalcy here with the film industry and some summer horror blockbusters. One of which has already come out, but there's a couple here on the horizon. The latest chapter of Saul, uh, called Spiral, came out a couple weeks ago. Um, this weekend. On May 28th, A Quiet Place 2 comes out. And then the following weekend, on June 4th, Conjuring 3, otherwise known as Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It, is coming out. So, And these are all in theaters. So we're, we're, we're hitting our stride here in 2021, getting back to some uh, normalcy. I believe we'll be seeing A Quiet Place 2 in theaters. Yes, I'm and excited. Then and then I would imagine we're going to be seeing Conjuring 3 in theaters. Yeah, a little less excited about that one. You know how I am about being scared in public. <laughs> so I know Mike saw Spiral. I'm not going to speak for him. I know how he feels about it, but I'll, I'll let him explain himself next time he's on the show. I We have not seen it. No. I think that I might, but I don't know. I know you won't. Yeah. So I don't know where that leaves me. I don't do well um, with bodily torture. I think I just have a long history of hurting myself, and um, it pains me to watch people in pain. So maybe someday I'll see it, but not high on my priority list. Is it that, or do, do those movies just suck? I mean, I don't know. I did the, the torture scenes don't bother me so much as every single... Like, you've seen one of those movies. You've seen them all. Yeah. And... I don't know. They just ring hollow to me. But also, I, I know people say that about Halloween and Friday 13th. Well, you've, seen them, you've seen them, especially Friday 13th, because they're pretty. You know? Yeah. You get to a point there where a few of the movies kind of run together, unless you've seen them a million times like I have. But this whole franchise is just not my cup of tea. I'm not really bothered by the torture scenes anymore because I've just become desensitized to it. But I just, I just think they're shitty movies. Yeah, they're not that great. I think what makes the other movies you talked about okay is there's a sense of campiness to them. Like, they're not meant to be these cinematography genius works. They're trash. Put them yeah. on for 90 minutes. But I don't think that's what Saul was going for, that franchise. Yeah, I think they probably think they're a little bit, little bit more clever with yeah. the Saul franchise. Now, I don't know. I let's not talk too much about Saul because Mike and I are putting out our rankings. But there, there's still... A few movies in there that are pretty good. But overall, it's not a franchise that's for me. Back to the movies that you and I like. Mm-hmm. A Quiet Place 2, as I said, comes out this Friday. If you're listening to this, when it when it releases on May 26th. The movie comes out on May 28th. We rewatched A Quiet Place uh, this past weekend. It's a movie you and I saw in theaters. I don't, I don't think that I have seen it since, which yeah, is kind of weird. Because I like it a lot, and I'm a little surprised that I hadn't seen it since. Mm-hmm. I believe it came out in 2018. I think that movie is, uh, the the concept is so good and so original that it's almost a little bit surprising that nobody had done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, John Krasinski, man, I hope is a guy, I don't, this won't be the case, I doubt it, but I hope he takes the route of Jordan Peele, where he delved into the horror genre and stayed a while yeah i never would have thought that he was a horror guy i mean he got his start mainstream start in the office uh so to see him go to the horror world was kind of a surprise but i love what he's done a quiet a quiet place too is um by all indications just as good as the first one the early the early reviews are out Mike and I ran um, an episode where we predicted the Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes scores for a bunch of upcoming horror movies. 
I believe, if I remember correctly, me and Mike were both in like the 65 to 75 range prediction mm. for A Quiet Place 2. The first one got a 96, Wow, which is crazy. Yeah. And Mike and I both said, it's going to be good, but it's probably not going to sniff that first one. Mm-hmm. And we were wrong. Wow. Uh, Krasinski co-wrote the first one. He directed it, but he co-wrote it with somebody else. Not only did he return to direct the sequel, but he has full writing credits. So he is the only writer. Huh. Um, Killian Murphy is in it. Oh. Obviously, Krasinski is not in it, other than some flashback scenes as an mm. actor. Um, Killian Murphy's in it to essentially take his spot as the male lead. Mm-hmm. I think Killian Murphy's great. I don't. I mean, I think he's a better actor than Krasinski, and that's not to take anything away from Krasinski. I just think he's not nearly as accomplished as Killian Murphy. Yeah. Um, so I'm super excited about that movie. I cannot wait to see that in theaters. Yeah. I'm. I can't wait to get back into the theaters in general. But to see a movie that looks this good, I'm excited. Name the last movie you and I saw in theaters. I remember clear as day. No. The Invisible Man. Ah, yeah. In, uh, I guess it was probably late February of 2020. Right before. A couple weeks before the pandemic hit. Um, Mm. Really good movie. But anyway... A Quiet Place 2 comes out on May the 28th. We are looking forward to it. If you love horror, I'm sure you're looking forward to it. And let's get back into what we're talking about today. All right. That's a little bit of a preface. But like I said, The Conjuring 3 comes out on June 4th, and that is what we are discussing today. We're not discussing The Conjuring uh, franchise and multitude of spinoffs but we are talking about the conjuring the original from 2013 and its sequel from 2016 you and i saw both of these in theaters Mm -hmm. first one we were in college second one i believe we were living in ohio could be wrong on that maybe 16 yes we would have been in ohio i believe it was the summer of 16 so we would have been living in northwest ohio i remember the first one because it was the first horror movie we saw together in theaters. And the only reason I would go see it with you was because my parents were traveling. So you could sleep at my parents' house that night because I wouldn't sleep by myself. <laughs> was that before Cabin in the Woods? Because we saw Cabin in the Woods in theaters too. Oh, you know, we saw Cabin in the Woods down at Temple. Yeah. So we could stay at your apartment in the city. In the city, right. Yeah. But... yeah I, I think The Conjuring was maybe a year after Cabin you're in right, the Woods. You're right, you're right. But I, I'm also just going off my memory here. I'm not positive on that. But um, so so you not being raised on horror um, or not getting into horror at a young age, what is it about The Conjuring and its sequel? Let's just speak um, in general terms. What is it about those two movies that you really enjoy? Mm. So one of the first horror movies I really did watch as a kid was The Exorcist with my dad. Um, And I got really into that whole, like, demonic possession world of horror movies um, because I like the plot lines of them. I just don't like physically being scared. I mean, for everybody listening, I'm the type of person that jumps at everything, and Ty can attest to that. It could be the littlest thing, and I will jump out of my skin. Um, And I just hate that feeling... right when I get scared, but I love these stories. I love the kind of the the history behind it, I guess. And um, I just, I just love the stories. I don't know how to really describe it other than that. So you may not be a horror nut, but you do like true crime. And so in a sense, this, these movies are exaggerated, Mm -hmm. but in a sense, it does kind of tie in that you know, based on true events. And obviously Ed and Lorraine Warren were very real people. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe that helps explain why you enjoy it. I think that's a good point. I am a true crime nut. I love true crime stories. Plug your true crime podcast. (laughs) Uh, Morbid podcast. It's like the, it's like one of the biggest podcasts on the planet. You don't really have to plug it. (laughs) If if you're familiar with podcasts, you probably have heard of it. Yeah. But I Um, love morbid. Um, It's just, uh, two sisters I guess in Boston and they talk all about true crime and I don't know something fascinates me about that world we watch all the documentaries on Netflix with serial killers and things like that and it fascinates me 
That podcast is pretty much like the Joe Rogan of true crime, isn't it? Because they, I mean, they literally go on tour. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They were, when we saw um, Andrew, Santino. Andrew Santino, they were advertising them at the comedy club in Philly. Punch Live. Punch Line. Punch Line, Punch yep. line Philly. Yep. But then they had to cancel the show because of COVID. And I know they're going to come back to Philly, but I don't know if they're going to be at Punchline. Um, but I do know they're planning on coming back. And by the way, the, the Corn Syrup podcast will be at the Wells Fargo Center. <laughs> we don't we don't do these small theater shows. No. <laughs> we we go we go for the big bucks. Um, let's get back to the let's get back to the movies. Let's get back to the first Conjuring again. It came out in 2013. Speaking of the Saw franchise, both of these movies were directed by James Wan, who directed Saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting. I love a guy that just loves horror. Like to go from Saw to The Conjuring, two both horror obviously, but two opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to horror. Um, you know the guy is just passionate about making horror films one way or another, regardless of the subgenre. But for me, if I could sum up what I love about these movies, uh, the characters, and it's not just. It's not just Ed and Lorraine. It's not just Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson who are phenomenal. But just the characters. Like in in this one, Lily Taylor as the mother mm-hmm. of the family that is that is going through the, the, the supernatural paranormal happenings in her Rhode Island home mm-hmm. just feels like a real mother. Yeah. And then Ron Livingston, who I've only ever seen in comedies, I think, is also really good as as the dad in this. Mm-hmm. And there's like there's certain things that happen throughout the course of the movie where there are some real traditional genuine scares, but they're intertwined with these realistic life moments. Something as simple as I wrote down them just all eating breakfast together, and you know like Patrick Wilson was was making toast or something for the kids, and it it all just felt it all just came together. It just, they just felt they just felt like real human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in turn makes the movie scarier because when things happen to them, you can sympathize, you can sympathize with them and relate to them more and put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, for sure. And even though you had a lot of, you know, a good number of characters in the movies with all the, the girls and the family, you still did develop a sense of empathy for them. It wasn't too many characters. They weren't overdeveloped, but you were still able to develop that connection where it was scarier and you really did feel for them. Let's talk about this, the, the direction and the cinematography of The Conjuring. They had a knack for making this feel like a true 1970s horror movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and that is something that is often often mimicked but never duplicated. That That's not the right phrase, but you know what I'm saying. Like A, a, lot, of, a lot of horror movies set out to make it feel old school. Mm-hmm. And I feel like only a small percentage of them actually achieve that. For example, It Follows comes to mind as an example of something that achieved that to like the, the, the highest degree. Sometimes they do it and make themselves feel dated, like they're trying too hard. Whereas those two movies, The Conjuring and It Follows, weren't like that. They were just trying to put themselves in that setting and they did it to where it didn't feel forced. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you try to make a horror movie feel old like the golden age of horror, 1970s, 1980s, even 1960s, it can come off as a little pretentious. Yes. Um, like you're trying to be something that you're not. You're not yeah. being genuine. And if there's anything these Conjuring movies are not, it's pretentious. Mm-hmm. They're not pretentious at all. In fact, this is what I label mainstream horror. And I don't mean that – I think people hear the word mainstream and they and they feel as though that that's a dirty word or something. I don't mean that in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I just mean like these are movies that are just very um, consumable for even the mildest of horror fans mm-hmm. because of the character characterization, because of the tone. There's some campiness between the characters, again, because they just feel so real. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just old school horror in that sense where it, like everyone just feels welcome to watch this movie. Yeah. It's not really aimed at a at a specific demographic. There's a good story. I feel very often like sometimes horror movies can get lost in just trying to be scary and they lose the story. Uh, and these movies don't do that. 
you have the story and the story is what keeps people coming back to watch it over and over again or watching the new movies that get put out in the in the series let's talk about james wan as a director because mike might disagree this guy came a long way from saw up until this point mm -hmm. i know we're comparing apples to oranges saw had a very minuscule budget and this did not but there's just like certain interesting things that Juan did with the camera. Yes. Um, for example, when they're looking at Patrick Wilson is talking to some journalist that's I guess doing a write up on him, and you get a glimpse of the Annabelle doll in its casing, and in its in the case's reflection is Patrick Wilson, mm -hmm. and it's just little things like that that I don't think I really picked up on that stuff until I, until I started doing a podcast, and I had mm -hmm. to like kind of divulge myself and really like just watch every single scene and um, be critical of everything I was seeing. Mm -hmm. And there's certain stuff like that. Like, not every director pulls that off. Not every director thinks of that. Mm -mm. Um, and he used some really great camera angles, too, especially in the last scenes of the movie where uh, the mom is possessed and they're going through the exorcism. There's a lot of really cool camera angles they use as she's levitating and things are flying around and... and uh, I really appreciate a director who mm -hmm. does weird things with the camera. I think my favorite scene out of either of these two movies comes in that first movie where uh, Lily Taylor, who again plays the mother of the family in Crisis here, um, where there's this long sequence in the middle of the night where she's going about the house and she ends up getting locked in the basement. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just like this long, probably 10-minute scene and that's when you like really feel as though this family is in genuine, genuine danger. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I think Lily Taylor is fantastic. I think, like, like there's no secret Vera Farmiga is a star in this movie, mm -hmm. but Lily Taylor is underrated. Um, you know, if, if we're giving Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga like the gold stars for this movie, she, she, someone like Lily Taylor, as good as she is in this movie, probably goes a little unsung. Yeah, and I thought she was really good in the movie at being um, that loving, endearing mom. And then all of a sudden the switch flips at the end when she's possessed, and uh, you get a really good sense of it. There's no question as to what's going on with her. Again, back to the character development and the writing, they build you up for this culmination where the, the devil or mm -hmm. the demon that is living within this house is actually taking possession in the form of the mother. Mm -hmm. And so, again, they build this character up to the point where, you know, when it comes to that big ending, you can really sympathize with her where she's lost all control and she's trying to kill one of her daughters. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just more really good writing, good directing, good acting. Um, you know, everything just works. Yeah, and the the way that they connected it to the previous owners of the home. Mm -hmm. And um, like you said, probably the reason why I like these movies is because of the relationship to, to true crime. You learn this isn't the first time this has happened in this house. There's been other kids that have gone missing and then they end up finding out, well, the mom killed the little boy. And, and, and you learn these different things as you go through. I think his name is Rory. Yeah. Um, and I really, really love that. I love how it, in the end you end up learning all about the history of the house and the different families that have gone through different things, and it all kind of comes to fruition at the end. Tell me what you think about Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. I think they're both really good. Mm -hmm. um, I think they have a good chemistry together without it being too um, forced because you can – it's important, I think, that you know how much they really, truly love and care for each other because this is not an easy thing for them to do. Um, and especially, I don't want to get into the second film, but especially as you get into the second film, you see the connection between them, and I think they do a really good job of it. Yeah, for as good as they are in this one, it becomes the relationship becomes even more effective in the second one, and we'll get to that in a little bit. And I wish... Um, I guess in doing some research, I wish I would have watched some film on uh, the real Ed and Lorraine just kind of to see their dynamic together. Um, but I do know they spent time um, with Lorraine Warren. Um, so I would imagine that they did really play the relationship off of the real life Ed and Lorraine. 
in terms of acting, um, and I didn't write any of the girls' names down. I should have. The girls, the little girls in this movie, really good. And a lot of them we don't we haven't seen again. The one has become pretty popular. Yes. Jo- Joey King, I believe yes. her name is. Yes. And I can't remember off the top of my head what else I've seen her in, but she has one of those faces that you just don't forget. Yeah, she was in um, the act. So that's probably one of the things that she's most famous for. It's that Gypsy Blanchard, the girl whose mom has Munchausen's, and um, Gypsy ends up killing her mom. You might have seen that, but I don't think I saw that. I've never seen it. I just oh, know okay. the true crime story. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, she she has one of those faces that you don't forget. I knew I I knew I knew her from something else, but she's she's good. She's yeah. really really good. Oh yeah, she's there's really that good. there's that one scene where she sees something behind her other sister in the bedroom, uh-huh. and her acting in that scene is oh, great. When great. there's something in the corner, yeah. like behind the door. Yeah, she's amazing, amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought all the girls were really, really good. All did really good at showing pure horror. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what Juan used in... Because some of the girls are pretty young. Yeah. So I wonder what he was using as a motivation for them to really look scared. Because sometimes when there's younger actors, they try to not scare them as much mm-hmm. and give them other ways to seem scared. Um, We heard that when we did The Shining. Yeah. Um. So I just wonder what that process was like. Right. Yeah, even when this movie is not trying to scare you, like I said, the, the real-life moments where they're just hanging out and being real people, and you could appreciate the writing and the acting, mm-hmm. the entire movie um, just commands your attention. It does. Again, even when it's not trying to scare you. Mm-hmm. It's not a boring movie. Mm-mm. It is, like I said, the, these scares intertwined with these moments of humility. Mm-hmm. Um and to me, that that makes for a very, combined with the effective atmosphere, it makes for a very effective horror movie. Yeah, definitely. And when you were talking about, you know, them just kind of like being a family, one of the things that happens over and over again in the movie is this clap game that the girls play. Hmm. Um, and having grown up with a little sister, we used to play, not the clap game, but we used to play a lot of hide and seek, and it brought me back to, you know, being a kid with my sister um, and how they're just being innocent playing this game and it ends up being skewed and turned into this really really scary horrifying thing when the house essentially starts playing or the demon i think one of the the i think one of the images of this movie that comes to mind when i think about the first conjuring is toward the end when the mom is tied she's she's being taken over by a demon Mm -hmm. and she's tied to the chair and there's a sheet over her Uh and the chair flips upside down yep I don't know if that was on the poster for the movie or if that's just an image that is like entrenched into my brain after seeing this movie a few times. Mm-hmm. But and I'll get to mo- to what I think of when I think of the second one, but that is like the image that I think of when I when I think of the first conjuring. See mine's similar, except it's when the sheet tears open and her face yeah. her like horrifying yellow yeah, eyes right. start coming through the sheet. And the and- effects in that scene too, the chair yeah. scene. Back to the characters, a couple of the, the, even the side characters, like the the boy that they have working for them, for meaning, the meaning Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, the boy, he's a young boy. Yep. Uh, like he he brings some campiness. Mm-hmm. He's enjoyable, and then kind the of co- like a love interest for the yeah. oldest sister. Right, and then mm-hmm. the cop. Yeah. Is funny. He is. Uh, there's that one, and the movie knows how to be funny. Like it, it's just down to earth. Like when the one time when uh, they were waiting for any signs of paranormal activity and the and the one bathroom door started creeping open mm-hmm. but really it was just the cop taking a piss yeah. <laughs> like it's just good stuff like that it just reminds you of, of how effective and, and memorable the movie is in my mm-hmm. opinion and uh, sorry to jump back but when you started talking about the boy that they hired with the recording equipment and then we were talking before about how the movies dated very well um that was one of the things that I noticed when they were going around the house and setting up all the different kind of like recording equipment to try and catch um, evidence of the paranormal. All that equipment was really cool equipment from the 70s. And watching them go through, you know, setting up the reels and all that was played into this is from the 70s. Right. And it was a subtle way of doing it, but really cool. And then in the con- in Conjuring 2 when there's a point where Patrick Wilson is holding a piece of equipment 
and he says something like, oh, look how small and light this is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's this huge piece of equipment that's obviously outdated. Yeah. It's very subtle ways of yeah. dating the movie. Any any complaints about this movie, even mm-hmm. if they're minor? They kill a dog. There you go. <laughs> I did. That it, is such a. I mean, it's I a, know. It's a, it's a cliche. I know. Um, um, it's 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 especially a cliche when the dog is barking at the house. Yeah. <laughs> and won't come inside. And won't come inside. I well, I, so- I never got all that invested in Judy Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga's daughter. Mm-hmm. There's that point where they're like trying to save her. Yeah. At the end of the day, I didn't really see the point there like it didn't really add anything to the story for me yeah but that again is continued in the second film yeah i guess what i'm saying is i could just live without it completely yeah so you had mentioned we were talking about the dog um i read that there was some spooky things that went on on set while they were going through the movie and one of the things was when mom was writing the script uh there was a point where his puppy was just staring at a corner and like viciously barking and growling and absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, also, they, uh, oh, when the, some of the people were talking with Lorraine on the phone and doing some research for the movie, they would always have really staticky phone calls and they would often just be cut dead. Um, when, so the Perone. I believe that's how you say it. Perone or Peroni family is who this is based on. Um, when they visited the set, they said they often felt um, very uncomfortable. The mom said she was starting to feel that same dark presence. Um, and she actually ended up in the hospital because she ended up falling. Mm. And the fall was bad enough to end up in the hospital. And then the last thing was the family said when they were on site, they would feel a really cool wind. But there was never any evidence of the wind in, like, the trees or anything. They'd never see anything blowing, but they would always feel a really cold chill. Um, so just a couple things that I read. Interesting. And I know in the Philippines, um, a lot of the movie theaters that were showing The Conjuring actually had priests come in and bless the crowds yeah. before viewing. I read that, and too. And they were there as sort of like a, you know playing the therapist type role if anybody needed to talk to somebody after watching the movie yeah um this is considered both of these movies are considered some of the scariest movies of the past decade the the mpaa actually rated this r and i'll give a lot of credit to james wan and the filmmakers they did not push back because they did not want to alter the film in any way um, you know, there's there's very little language. There's no nudity. There's no drug yeah. use. There's no, I'm not even sure what you could call violence. But basically, this movie was rated R for the scare, the scariness of it alone. Hmm. And James Wan and his team did not want to alter anything, so they accepted the R rating. Interesting. And uh, looking at the numbers, it did not. If that was the right decision, it, <laughs> it did not affect them in any way. This was uh, made on a twenty million dollar budget. And it generated three hundred nineteen million. Wow! So obviously a highly profitable movie, especially for an R-rated horror movie. Very, think, very profitable. I think that's a mistake that filmmakers often make is they want that PG thirteen rating to try and open it up to a wider audience, thinking that's going to get them more. Um, but like you said, you you might start to take away from the movie itself. Like in this case, why make a movie less scary? if that's part of what the movie is. Depends what kind of filmmaker you are. I mean, do you not really yeah. give a shit about your product and you just want to, you just care about, you know, drawing a crowd? Yeah. Or do you actually want to make a good horror movie? Yeah. Um, PG-13 horror was like all the rage when you and I were of that age, ironically. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, that that whole John, subgenre of PG-13 horror is dying off a little bit. At Rotten Tomatoes, this has a 86% from critics. And an 83% from the audience, so mm. pretty much on the same wavelength there. Um, just a uh, a down-to-earth, genuinely scary at times horror movie that even if you don't love the genre, I feel like you should give it a shot. Yeah. I feel that way about both these movies. Yeah. Did you know this movie was in the making for 20 years? So one of the producers, I can't remember which one, um, heard an interview of... Lorraine Warren with 
one of the members I think was the mom from the Peroni family um and after he heard that interview he tried for 14 years to get somebody to pick up the movie and nobody would and then finally after 14 years somebody did and six years later it was brought to the biggest screen worth the wait oh yeah absolutely it's refreshment time and our refreshment stand is loaded with good things to eat there's crispy, crunchy popcorn, and hot, delicious buttered popcorn, lots of candy, and frosty, refreshing cold drinks. Why not treat yourself at the refreshment center now? Let's move on to The Conjuring 2. All right. Which, you know, with box office numbers that big, you know there's going to be a sequel. But James Wan was back at the helm. And this movie came out three years later in 2016. It is simply called The Conjuring 2. This uh, series goes from Rhode Island all the way out to England. The first one took place in 1971. This is 1977 Mm -hmm. in England. Whereas in the first one, we had Lily Taylor and Ron Livingston playing mom and dad. This one is... um, the family in crisis is a single mother, very clearly living low income. So it's a, it's a little bit of a different family dynamic in this one. Yeah. Um, well, because you had in this second one, the dad left and got some other girl pregnant and yep. was with his new family and didn't care about his kids. Yep. So you went from kind of having this family that had so much love for each other to this family that was broken and was trying to build back to what they had before. Yeah, and a mom just trying to keep her head above water. Yeah. Um, the the One of the very first scenes in this movie is of Vera Farmiga going throughout a house and sort of visioning a crime mm-hmm. and, you know, reliving a crime. Mm-hmm. And I it immediately reminded me of Hannibal. Yeah. With uh, Will Graham. Yes. If you haven't seen Hannibal, watch it. You're stupid. <laughs> if you like horror, um, it's leaving Netflix, by the way. No. So by the time you listen to this podcast, it might be too late. Is it? So I don't know if a fourth season of Hannibal is happening oh. after all, unfortunately. Um, and if it is, it might not be Netflix anymore. No. It's not a good sign when it comes and goes that quickly. I mean, I, I know it's only been a year, but um, unless they lost the rights to it, and that's why it's leaving. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, if anybody was going to do it, I feel like it would have been Netflix. Yeah. Anyway, what do you think about this movie? I like it. Compared to the first one. <laughs> um, so, I think it did a really good job of not just being a copycat of the first one and expanding upon the character development of the Warrens from the first movie. And I really like how it took and moves, like you said, from Rhode Island to England. And you could see two different family dynamics and see how the same kind of thing happened and how it influenced the families differently. This one definitely reminded me more of like The Exorcist because you were looking at the little girl instead of the mom getting possessed. Um, Again, I saw, I thought that the child acting was phenomenal. I believe the, the main girl even though she has a really good British accent, is American. Yeah, you're right about that, which yeah, is strange. From, like, Louisiana or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Overall, I really, really like this movie. I thought there was smart, clever things, um, like when the family would get the bite marks on their arms. There was always the couple teeth missing, and then they ended up finding the dentures that matched. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was clever things like that throughout the movie. Uh, yeah, overall, I just really liked it couple observations i do think it misses the um the really good adult characters to go along with vera farmiga and patrick wilson the movie misses lily taylor and ron livingston to a lesser degree Mm -hmm. that's nothing against um the the lady who plays the single mother in this i think her name is Frances o'connor nothing nothing against her but it, it it didn't have the same lasting impression on me as as lily taylor did anyway yeah she's not as strong of a character yeah um, 
But the thing that I love about this movie is the fact that it continued to establish the relationship and the chemistry between Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. Yes. Oddly enough, for a horror movie, the scene that I remembered most about this movie after seeing it in theaters and the scene that maybe stuck with me the most was the scene where Patrick Wilson is singing the Elvis song, Can't Can't Help Falling in Love. Yep. Something about that scene just like forever stuck with me and I feel like always will. Yeah. It reminded me of when I was a kid and my dad used to uh, play like the Beatles on his guitar and my sister and I would sing with him. So it was very relatable. And Patrick Wilson got his start in theater and that was actually him singing. Exactly. Yeah, he's really good. Which I didn't know at the time, but we we learned that in our studies here. We did. One of the scariest scenes, um, probably, no, I'll take that back. The scariest scene in this movie, in my opinion, is, it's a, I think it's become a pretty classic horror scene, and I'll, I'll go as far as to say that, but it's the scene with the nun. Yes. Where it's just, it's just Vera Farmiga, mm-hmm. basically locked into this office. The painting of the nun yeah. is behind her. I have not seen the movie The Nun. I heard it sucked. I heard a lot of the spinoff movies in this franchise are bad, and that's why we're not really bothering with them. Mm-hmm. But, man, that scene with The Nun in The Conjuring 2 is fucking good. Yeah, and in my research I read that originally that was not a nun. It was just a, like a demon with horns. Right. And Juan decided to reshoot about, th- I think, like three months before the movie was done with the nun because he wanted to show that Lorraine's faith was breaking. And the best way that he could do that was using some kind of holy figure, which is why he chose the nun. And I think it was a great move. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned, it made it scarier. You mentioned devil with horns. That also reminds me of Hannibal, that big yes. black figure with the big black <laughs> horns. Uh, but yeah, just, just a ridiculously effectively, I mean, even for someone like me who I don't, it takes a lot for me to get scared, but if you don't think that scene is scary and well done, you're you, I think you're you're lying to yourself a little bit, um, because that is a great scene. Yeah, it's like the shadows against the wall, and then it gets to the portrait, and you see the hands come around, mm-hmm. and it just runs out of the wall. It's horrifying. And you mentioned a lot. One of the sub themes of this movie is um, faith, and uh, Vera Farmiga's faith breaking or potentially breaking. Another theme of this movie is the fact that after the happenings of that first movie in 1971 the popularity of the warrens is skyrocketing mm-hmm. um there, there's a scene where they're doing like a daytime tv show i guess what you would say similar to like an oprah or something um so they're they're dealing with some fame they're dealing with and i, and I think that and and the faith thing kind of go together it's like what are we really doing this for are we doing this yeah. for the faith to help people or are we doing this for the clout yeah and the popularity mm-hmm. um and I, I kind of enjoyed them throwing, you know, a couple strong sub-themes in there just to make you think a little bit. Definitely. It gives the movie more of a story, really. Weird thing about this movie, it is, it is longer. It's about 20 minutes longer than the first one, a little bit over 20 minutes longer. And they don't really start on the scene in London until an hour in. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it took yeah, that long. Yeah, it's an, it's, a, it's an hour in. So a lot of the first hour is spent with this family in London, learning about them and learning about what is going on. And meanwhile, the Warrens are dealing with their sudden influx in popularity. Um, and L- Lorraine, again, struggling with her faith and is kind of on the fence as to whether she even wants to keep doing this or not. So it, this movie is almost like two movies in one, two separate movies. Mm-hmm. One thing that I did notice in the first movie versus this movie is when you went through the first movie, it was kind of like they were taking you night by night and not a whole lot of time passed. Whereas in the second movie, definitely you could tell much more time passed. This was going on much longer. I just, I got that sense. Um, By the time the Warrens got there, it seemed like it had been going on for a couple weeks or months. Uh, Whereas in the first movie, it didn't feel that way. It felt like it happened much faster another just down to earth scene i like about this movie is when vera farmiga her character she she first meets janet one of the young girls and they're just on the swing set talking mm-hmm. um it's the first time they've met and you know lorraine warren is not even asking her about 
the demon that is living in the house or the, or the crisis that they're going through, but they're just simply talking. And it's just another one of those scenes that makes you empathize with the characters and makes them feel real and really sets these movies apart from other possession movies that just kind of feel run-of-the-mill yeah. and just like rehashes. And, and these movies just, it's almost hard to articulate, but they just stand out. Yeah, for sure. I, they spend a lot more time making you care about the characters, I think. And I think that's what makes them stand out more. One thing I don't understand about this movie is they, they throw this wrinkle in there where um, there's a point in time where they feel as though the family is, is faking it. Yes. It occurs after that scene where they're in the basement or whatever that is, and, and there's a bunch of flooding. Mm-hmm. Patrick Wilson's character reaches into the water and something bites him, and then he finds the dentures in the water. Yeah. And then it's after this point where they think maybe the family is faking it. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. He just got bit. Like, are they are they insinuating that some young girl was hiding under the water? Because then he yeah. found the dentures. It To me, that was a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know about that. It didn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I think the reason why they did that is because this was based on a true story um, in Enfield, England. And to this day, most people think that the two girls in the family were faking it. Um, And that's why that scene in the kitchen where they caught her like bending the spoons herself. Mm -hmm. um, There's a lot of people that speculate that the story that this is based on, more so than a lot of other stories, that they were faking it. That it was two sisters that had learned how to like throw their voices and and, um, were just doing it for attention. I did, re- I did read about that, and I'm, I'm glad that they included that in the movie because that's obviously an important piece of the puzzle if you're going to make a movie that's based on true events, quote-unquote. But some of the scenes felt out of order almost. He, Ed Warren found dentures in the water. Yeah. You know, so it just felt a little bit um, thrown together at certain times, I guess is all I'm saying. But it, it didn't really impact my, my opinion on the movie too much. Compare the uh, – give me, give me your thoughts on, on the ending – of this movie to the ending of the first one. I guess what I'm asking is compare compare the demons, the actual mm. paranormal activity. I think I prefer the first movie in yeah. terms of that just because I like the fact that it was more a family dynamic thing whereas in the second film it seemed like it had a lot more to do with the Warrens themselves. Um, and that's why it's... The, I guess that's the one thing in the movie where... How did Lorraine Warren have all these premonitions of something happening to a family in England? And why was the demon in that house going after her, this lady in the United States who, you know, did paranormal research? Mm-hmm. In the grand scheme of things, that was the one thing in the movie that was kind of hard for me to connect. Why did that demon go after her? It could just haunt this family and get all the anguish and pain out of them that it wants and I and I think that maybe they were going for she has this ultimate level of faith and we can really try to shake her faith but it feels like a little bit of a stretch for me that's why I think I like the first one better I agree uh, for maybe of a maybe a little bit of a different reason but the first the, the demon in the first one was so vicious that it was trying to possess a mother and then kill her own daughter yeah which is pretty much as evil as you could possibly get yes this one now it ended up being something a little more dangerous uh it was a demon called valak Mm -hmm. but for the majority of the movie it was really a gentleman that used to live there by the name of bill Mm -hmm. who you know died in the recliner in the corner yeah Um, which was a true story by the way yeah i know but so in comparing this old guy bill to the demon in the first one he kind of just came off like a grouchy old man and, and didn't feel to me as dangerous as the demon in the first one. Yes. Like the demon in the first one, again, trying to possess a mother and then have her kill her own daughter. Yeah. And then this one kind of felt like a dude that was just like, get off my lawn. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying he wasn't dangerous. I'm just saying like in comparison to what we got in the first one, it felt a little underwhelming. And that's also why I think the first one's a lot scarier. Yeah, and in the first movie, it happened over and over again. There was multiple instances of this demon or, you know, the witch was possessing mothers and then forcing them to kill their own children, whereas you didn't get that 
in the second movie. Um, and the other thing in the second movie that I had a little bit of trouble with is exactly what that spirit of Bill was doing. Like, I couldn't tell if, and, and if you know the answer to this, tell me, was he trying to protect the family? Because at the end, they have the two tapes that come together and it's Bill's voice saying, it won't let me go, help me. So is, is, was he trying to keep the demon spirit away from the family or was he attempting to be a conduit for the demon spirit to get it to the house? I thought he was trying to be a conduit. I would think that too, except why would he be saying, it won't let me go, help me? Yeah, that I'm not sure about. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good question. Also, because I don't really know what, other than maybe being a grouchy old man, I don't know what business he had to truly harm this family. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know why he had a dog in the fight, and I don't know why he would have been on the side of the demon. No, I mean, other than he, he said he was waiting for his family or something like that because it was his house, but why would he be as violent and vicious as he was I see, like, him, like you said, being a grouchy old man, like, get out of my house. But it it turned extremely violent. Well, when we do that show at the Wells Fargo Center, James Wan is one of the guests that we have scheduled, and wow. we, will, we will ask him. Okay. Uh, some tidbits about this movie. The We mentioned the first one, the, the priest in the Philippines blessing the crowd. The, the producers of this one, The Conjuring 2, actually brought in a priest to bless the set yes. while filming because of some strange happenings that they could not explain. Mm-hmm. That stuff always is fascinating to me. And I, I got to wonder what it was like being a cast member, having, you know, watched the producers bring in a priest to bless the set. <laughs> yeah. One of the tidbits that I found is there's five instances in the movie before the end where you can actually see Valak written throughout the film. Mm. Um, one of them is when they show the Ed, the, or when Ed shows Lorraine the painting that he did of the nun. Oh, yeah. Another one is there's some like bangles on the window. It's in it. Um, there's a time when it's just behind Lorraine in a scene kind of against the wall. Um, when the daughter is making the bracelets and then, um, the final time is in a bookcase. You can see they have, like, letters on the bookcase on the shelves, and it says Valak. So I want to watch it again and see if we can pick any of those out. Here's something that makes me love James Wan. He, di- he turned down the opportunity to direct Fate of the Furious, the, at, the, at the time the latest installment in the Fast of the Furious franchise, mm-hmm. in order to return to The Conjuring and uh, direct this sequel. Nice. And he said, you know, like the money obviously that he turned down, and we're talking about Fast and the Furious here, so like that was, that's life-changing money. Yeah. Um, to stay within the horror genre, man, that's... Uh, yeah, you always respect that. It's good shit. Mm-hmm. It's good shit. And uh, let's not act like he was hurting for money coming off that first <laughs> one, and he, he did well again here. $40 million budget, double the budget. They did go to England. Yeah. They did actually film in England, so that, that could be a good piece of that pie. Uh, and it generated $320 million. So it was a roaring success, just like the first one. Yeah. And uh, it's shocking that it's taken this long to get a third one. Now, obviously, it would have came out last year um, if it wasn't for COVID-19. But uh, it's still surprising that it, you know, it took this long. This movie came out in 2016, so it still would have been uh, a four-year gap between the second and the third one. But... We are finally getting the third one. Unfortunately, James Wan is not returning no. to direct the third one. It is somebody that works closely with James Wan, that worked closely with James Wan on the first two. His name is Michael Chaves, and uh, he, did dir- he did direct one of the Conjuring spinoff movies. It's called The Curse of La Llorona. Oh, yeah. That movie was not well-received. However... The early reviews for Conjuring 3 are positive are and, and promising. Ah. Um, there's no Rotten Tomatoes scores out or anything like that, but, there, but there's been a handful of early screeners, and they all seem to be right on par with what we're getting, with what we received with the first two. So, hey, man, if this guy can, uh, Michael Chaves, if he can pick up the mantle and pick up where James Wan and his team left off, hell yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I want to say, I know there was a couple things I said that I didn't, 
particularly love about this movie. A couple things I had, I guess, little issues with, but I still overall love this movie. Don't yeah, get me, me too. wrong. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I think sometimes I, when I talk about movies that, I don't know, I think sometimes I'm, I give off the opinion like I don't like a movie, even though I do. Yeah. But really, anything negative I said about this movie is just being nitpicky. Yes, same. <laughs> like yeah. I was, I was saying to you before, I have a note written down that there's a really corny part and I think it's when the the daughter starts having like a, a seizure or, or gets thrown or something like that and the mom screams like somebody get an ambulance and then it like Lance 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 <laughs> it like echoes yeah. and it was just like oh, why did they have to do that it was kind of cringy and it didn't fit in the movie mm. but it didn't take away from the movie it was just like an instance where I was like why did he do that yeah, I'm fairly confident the first one is the better movie. Yes. Specifically the better horror movie. I agree. Um, the Rotten Tomatoes for this score pretty much agree with everything we're saying in terms of still really good, but not quite as good. It's an 80% for critics, 81% for audience. Again, it was an 86-83 for the first one. Seems about fair to me. Um, seems about right in line with probably what I would have guessed if I had seen these movies without knowing that they were already critically well-received. Um, and again, the third one comes out on June the 4th. It's called The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, otherwise known as The Conjuring 3. And we are looking forward to that movie. We are looking for A Quiet Place 2 coming out this Friday on the 28th. And we are looking forward to a, a summer of movies. We are back in the swing of things. We are back in the swing of things with Corn Sarah Bahar Podcast. And we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>